folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again. And this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgis, that's E-M-I-L dot G-O-R-G double E-S, emil.gorgis at tokyorealty.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. Okay, so we're taking a break from the JREP sessions this time, and we're getting back into some good old-fashioned podcasting. This is an audio-only recording of a call with a new client who's taking his first steps in Japan's property investment market. Now, he is a real estate professional and a seasoned investor, which enabled us to dive right into some of the meatier topics related to residential real estate property investment in Japan. And we talk everything from yields, sizes, locations, capital appreciation potential and cash flow, tenant profiles, tenant turnovers, and also macroeconomic population trends. And then a segue into short-term stay rentals, licensing, seasonality, um, real short-term stays versus monthly rentals, property management, and so on. We also touched on leveraging investments for business visa purposes, investment-related tax benefits, financing loans, creative accounting, etc. And then we have a more made a higher level conversation about the factors that help foreign investors succeed in Japan. Stuff like recognizing the difference between a solid deal and would-be bargains that end up being less than ideal, how to keep an open mind and study new markets, and much, much more. And then we sign off with a brief explanation of our services and the fee structures. So really great intro to residential property investment in Japan. Enjoy the conversation and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay, cool. So I've just scrolled down through uh, your email. Uh, sorry for the echo, by the way. I'm in our new office. Um, we expanded to another floor and there's not that many uh, furniture in here just yet. I can hear it loud and fine. Um, so you were talking about um, getting some properties for yourself in Fukuoka City, but also about setting up a um, shop in Japan, like a real estate company or? Uh, yeah, for the most part, yeah. I'm looking to um, set up a GK. It looks like from my uh, very preliminary research that that would potentially be the best option for me right now. Um, and uh, I'm kind of honing in on Fukuoka just from, I guess, my limited understanding. Obviously, uh, I'm open to discussion and, and everything like that, uh, depending on what you feel might be best uh, in terms of investments or what I'm hoping to do. So looking forward to uh, find out a little bit more uh, from you. 
Okay, well, to start off with uh, Fukuoka or not, I guess it depends on your criteria. So if you're, um, if you're looking for, you know, young, vibrant, popular, um, potential growth, but also um, lower cash flow uh, yield-wise, um, it's one of the best places in Japan. But if you're looking to maximize your um, annual yield uh, percentage-wise, then I would maybe go for other places. So it depends on your criteria, what the rest of your portfolio looks like. Okay. Uh, for the most part, my real estate holdings are in the U.S. Um, and I'm in the Twin Cities. So we kind of are sliding into more, or we had been sliding into more of an appreciation-based market. Um, still strong cash flows because it's Midwest. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, U.S. real estate, but um, it's kind of like a mix. Slightly. Okay. It's kind of like a mix. So it might be kind of similar in terms of uh, similar to Fukuoka, where there's potential, I guess, uh, appreciation. There's probably stronger appreciation in the U.S. from what I gather about Japanese real estate, though. Absolutely. But, yeah. 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 So, um, so when you say still strong cash flow, what kind of, uh, are we talking like um, high single digits, mid single digits, double digits, like roughly? For cap rates? Um, so when I first started, probably like six years ago, we were, um, you could find 10, 11 caps um, pretty uh, you, you know, pretty decently. Um, but right now it's probably down to five or six, um, you know, in, in general, um, okay. there might be when a little say, bit. Of... When you oh, say sorry, cap, God. just, just so I'm on the same page, when you say cap rates, you're referring to, uh, gross to net to net before tax. So what do you translate that into? Yep. So that'd be, uh, the net operating income. Okay. So pre taxes and pre, um, Known expenses or pre unknown expenses? No, no, no. So it would be, yeah. So it'd be the net, they'd be using the net operating income. So you're not using the gross, you'd be minusing all the expenses. Um, it wouldn't okay. be a cash on cash return. Uh, that would be with the debt assumptions um, and expenses on there. So. Okay. And including um, your annual taxes or? Correct. Yes. Yep. Okay. Just not so, the debt services. <laughs> okay. So if we compare that to, well, let's start with Fukuoka. If we compare that to Fukuoka, for example, so 5 6% uh, of what we call here net pre-tax, which I think is quite similar to what you're describing. Uh, mm -hmm. 5 6% is probably the best we're going to get here for individual units. So condo units, uh, what they call here mansion rooms. Okay. Um, if you go for a small uh, multi-unit building, let's say uh, uh, two, three floors up to maybe 10, 12 units, you could potentially go up to six and a half-ish. Okay. Um, and then obviously you have a bit more potential growth because you own a larger land parcel, which is the only thing that really uh, gains in Japan, if and when it gains. I see. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, a little bit more economies of scale too, potentially with easing of expenses, I would imagine if you're doing multifamily. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not multifamily per se, because most of the units that tend to be uh, good investments here would be single or maybe couple sized at most. Oh, I see. Uh, okay. So multi, I don't know, multi single, <laughs> multi. Yeah. Multi yeah. Multi so not unit. the entire. Yeah. yeah, not the entire building. Then it'd just be the onesies, twosies within certain buildings. Is that what you're kind of describing? No. So basically the way it works in Japan is, um, A, to get the best potential uh, tenant base, you want to stick to smaller properties because, because of the way population trends work here, not that many people are getting married and even less people are having babies. So there's always going to be the largest tenant base is always going to be singles and maybe couples or mm -hmm. When I say couple, it could be like a single mom with a child kind of thing. 
Um, so those are the best for tenant base, and also because um, space is really a, a very uh, high value commodity in Japan. When a property gets bigger in size, uh, the price rises um, far far more sharply than the rental income does. So, for example, a family size property might be getting double the rental income, but the price to purchase it would be triple. Right? Oh, I see. So in that gap between those two graphs, if you can envision them, is where your yields begin to shrink significantly. So for cash flow purposes and for the highest possible tenant base, we normally go for smaller units. So if you're buying a small building, for example, most of the units, like in some cases, you might have uh, first floor being uh, studios or one bedders, and then the second floor might be two bedroom units, but usually not much bigger than that unless you're very fine with lower yield. I mean, family tenants do tend to stay in place longer, so they are more stable, but the yield is much lower. I see, I see. Um, is there a lot of, um, I know that there is not like a lot of appreciation generally, um, but you did say that Fukuoka is a potential market for it. Um, is there like types of properties or different types of factors, I guess, that kind of point people, or yeah, point people in a direction where um, there's like, some capital appreciation, I guess, uh, in certain investments, or is there like certain yeah? Trends? So if if we take that from like the national macro level and then sort of drill down to the to the micro, so Fukuoka is similar to Tokyo and Osaka in the sense that um, when the economy in Japan does well overall, Fukuoka rises as sharply as Tokyo and Osaka do. Um, it has started at a much lower entry point, though, because it only became a thing about 10, 12 years ago, unlike Tokyo and Osaka, which are, you know, are, are the international hotspots. So yep. Fukuoka still has a lot more room to grow. So if and when Japan's economy does well overall, it will grow probably as sharply as Tokyo and Osaka. So if we look at, like, we've been in business for 11 years, and prices in central locations in Fukuoka since we started have almost doubled, in some cases more than doubled. Um, so it, it, so that's on the macro level. On the micro level, um, obviously, more central locations have better capital growth potential. So if you go very suburban, it's not likely to increase as sharply as, as central locations in the city. Okay, I see. And then beyond that, the larger your land parcel, the more capital potential growth that you have. So even if you're in a not super central location, let's say you're a bit suburban, um, still, if you've got a larger land parcel and you're on the uh, train tracks, meaning the property is within, say, 10, 15 minutes to a train station, then you would still get potential growth just by virtue of having a larger land parcel. But if you've got, for example, let's say you've bought a... Um, studio unit in a, in a kind of concrete block um, that's extremely suburban. So that means you only own like a meter or a meter and a half of the entire building's land parcel that comes with your unit. Um, your growth prospects are not amazing. Okay, I see. Okay, that's very interesting. Thank you. Hmm. Is there a lot of urban sprawl? Um, I, I guess uh, in, in Fukuoka then you said there's even like, I guess kind of out in the suburbs. Um, I would imagine that there's a little bit of that effect kind of diminishes as you get a little bit more countryside. Or What effect again, sorry? Uh, urban sprawl, meaning like, um, so, um, you know how, I guess like Tokyo is, is quite, um, you, you're quite, you go build up 
really high towards the center and whatnot, but then uh, the er like uh, I guess the urban center kind of flows out, and you get a little bit more uh, spreading of the city, you know, over time. Um, I guess it's maybe a kind of a colloquial term. I don't know how to describe. No, no, no. It does. It, uh, it does happen here. So the way we look at it again in Japan, you usually look along the train lines, right? So if you have a popular area that's become, let's say here we've got a. a just taking an example, we've got a, a neighborhood or a suburb called Roponmatsu in Fukuoka, mm -hmm. and that's gone through a really like a really good urban rejuvenation kind of project about five years ago. And property price values shot through the roof there. And mm -hmm. um, they tore down one older university campus. They re relocated to another suburb, and instead of that, they built a, a new courthouse. And then the courthouse attracted lawyers and judges that wanted to live in the area. So there was a lot of development going on for residential as well. And that area became super, super, super popular. And now, if we look at that train station, then one train down the line, meaning moving away from the city center, one further station down the line is the next area that we see as potential for growth and more redevelopment, right? Gotcha, yep. Yeah, so that Perfect. does happen here, but it happens along the train line. So if you look at the center of the city, um, find the most popular area that's furthest away from the city center, and then you maybe want to buy in the next train station down from that. I see. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for explaining that. No uh, that, that works the same in most major Japanese most... cities, though. Yeah. Okay, I see. Wonderful. Yeah, um, I guess I've never been to Fukuoka, so I'll definitely have to do a little bit more research in terms of areas and whatnot. Um, you'd said that was uh, Ropamatsu or something? Yeah, but it's not the only place. I just gave you an example on one of the train lines. So we've got three or oh, four okay. train lines, depending on how you cut them, that go through the city. Um, the same thing has happened on another train line. If you go all the way down to Takamiya Station, then the next station up from, down from that would be the next. I mean, the, it happens. I just used right. that one as an example, but the, there's a list of locations that I can give you in Fukuoka or in other cities that are um, enjoying the same kind of dynamics. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, would be happy to take a look at that for sure. Yeah. So what was the plan with the uh, the Godogaisha? What, what, what sort of business were you planning on setting up? Um, so primarily it would be uh, real estate investing, um, at least at first. Um, I'm kind of uh, not exactly sure what I want to do. I have a couple different ideas, um, but mostly, I guess, real estate related, whether it's going to be more focused, I guess, on kind of a traditional long-term investing or uh, potentially doing some short-term uh, rental things. I know that uh, regulations might be a little bit more stricter in Japan. Uh, from what I gather, with challenging, with, yes, can uh, be or challenging. Yeah, yeah. Um, I run uh, an Airbnb or a couple of different Airbnbs um, here in the U.S. So um, the regulations are, um, you know, they're they're getting tighter here and there, but I don't think they were nearly as uh, challenging as uh, I've read in Japan. But uh, I may want to go that way too. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm kind of not quite sure yet, um, and uh, I guess I'd want to. Uh, try to get back into Japan um, and try to get a feel for certain things like uh, Fukuoka. So, um, so is the purpose, just to help me understand, is the purpose of the company to actually um, have more tax benefits or to get you a visa or to, like, it'd is there any reason? To, sorry? Uh, it would be both. Yep. So it'd oh, be okay. like tax, yep, tax benefits and, and visa. Um, uh, I'm super open though. If uh, maybe the visa isn't the or the sorry, the business isn't the 
best way to go about it. Um, I know that uh, everything is closed down for tourism right now. Um, and so uh, to me, it seems like getting a business manager visa would allow for the most control, uh, I guess, in terms of what, you know, of course, Japan can close off those visas too, you know, for entry, but um, at least having a little bit more control uh, in comparison to like a tourist visa and allowing me to go actually see properties and start buying um, properties for the most part. Or do you think there's uh, maybe a better way potentially? Well, I mean, if somebody comes to us and asks what's the best way to get a visa, then yes, starting a business would work, but then you would need to also, um, you would need to, to keep renewing the visa. You'd need to make a minimum uh, income, taxable income per year. Yep. Um, and when you start a business, especially if it's a real estate oriented business, this, you want to claim as much as you can as deductions for the first few years, at least, with a, which a company here in Japan can carry forward for five years. Okay. So that's sort of sort of a catch-22 there. Like you want to have as much taxable income as you can to, to keep renewing the visa. But on the other hand, you want to pay as little taxes as possible. So you want to minimize that at least at first. Mm. And with real estate, there's a lot of, um, there's depreciations, there's purchase costs, there's a lot of stuff that you can claim as deductions. So it's kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you don't. Right. So there are probably better businesses to get into aside from real estate if it's strictly for the visa purpose. Also, the other thing to think about is that um, it becomes a lot easier to apply for and get and then renew the visa if you're actually hiring and employing local staff. Mm -hmm. um, so that's also something to consider, which is not necessarily something you'd really need to do if the company is strictly set up for property investment purposes. I mean, maybe if you're doing short-term stays, then it would There's be a little bit uh, more. Yeah. yeah little bit more staff to be considered but still not a necessity because right. i mean most of the short-term stay operators that i know unless you're actually running a hotel business in which case you have regular staff coming in but otherwise they usually outsource the cleaning or the check-ins to a management company and so forth and mm -hmm. um, so again not necessarily going to be really a staff heavy kind of operation um but if that's who you are and what you've been doing, and that's what you want to do in Japan as well, then it does make sense. So, I mean, obviously an accountant and an immigration uh, lawyer would be the better people to consult on this. I can just give you like my oh, sure. uh, layman's idea. And um, okay. we've actually, uh, three, four months ago now, we started a company for exactly that purpose to help people invest in other businesses that are not real estate related, which makes it a lot easier to get um, visas. So we help them oh, I see. become franchisees, for example, and hire mm -hmm. and run local shops or offices that are part of the franchise network. Okay. And um, okay. which makes it easier from a strictly from a visa perspective. But but again, you're a real estate person. So real estate is probably the most natural thing for you to get into, right? Right. And that's kind of the, that's the plan uh, for the most part along. So um, I thought, um, so I was assuming, so maybe there's the, um, what I read was uh, potentially wrong, but I thought it was just, you had to have a minimum investment portfolio of like 5 million yen or something like that to be able to have the visa. Is that not, is the income then a qualifier for the renewal for the visas well, then, or? It's not related to the, um, to real estate investment specifically, but if you set up oh. a company with a minimum capital investment of 5 million yen, then you can apply for the visa. Oh, I see. Um, but it does come with, a, they want to see a very detailed business plan and it does make it easier to get it if you're actually including in that plan that you're gonna be hiring local staff. Right. 
um, because it's it's really very up to individual officers and what they think here. There's no like exact checkbox lists like you have in the US or, or Australia where I'm from where all right, quality, tick that, tick that, tick that, qualify. It's it's very much case, um, case officer uh, determined. Okay. So they want to see a very detailed business plan in the format that they kind of expect to see, obviously strictly in Japanese. And they, if you can include some staffers on your business plan that you're planning to hire, and then a year down the track and every year thereafter, they're going to be looking at your taxable income for you to renew the visa. And your taxable income needs to be, um, last I heard from our immigration lawyer partners, is um, 2.3 million yen in taxable income uh, for the main applicant and then the same amount again per dependent. Okay, I see. And that has to be taxable income. So you can't... You can't, you can't be um, doing deductions and stuff. Exactly. Not yeah. many. I mean, unless if your income is 5 million in a year and you claim two and a half in deductions, it's still okay. But if your entire income is going to be 3 million and you want to claim as much as possible and you want to bring it down to zero for the first five years, right. um, then, then you don't have the taxable income. I see. Yeah, it's, there's kind of a similar catch-22 um, here in the U.S. When because we have a lot of depreciation deductions and all that kind of stuff too, and um, you know, claiming taxable income usually allows you to qualify for uh, the personal uh, mortgages and whatnot to continue expanding, um, yeah. which are of course the fixed rate ones. And those are if you got the enough ammo, you know, you don't have uh, 10, 10 of them and haven't maxed them out. You usually want to you know continue using that route until you can't anymore. So, um, but if you take out all the deductions, um, you just have to pay more taxes, but then you're, yeah, it's the catch 22 thing there too. So I'm guessing right. there's, um, is, is there, is there anything uh, similar in the, in Japan to the U S like, um, for like a real estate tax designation, um, well, for like mortgages, real estate professional tax designations, um, well, tax-wise, the only difference that I'm aware of is that if you're purchasing, if you're buying and selling properties under a corporate umbrella as opposed to as an individual, um, you're exempt from capital gains tax. Oh, okay. Uh, no, sorry, not from capital gains tax, but from the uh, from the double capital gains. So in individuals... Oh, I see. Yep. To try and avoid flipping here, they, they double the capital gains tax in the first five years after purchase. So instead of 20%, which is what it normally is, if you're selling um, within five years from purchase, you'll be paying 40% capital gains tax. It's not a huge issue in Japan because usually you're not going to be making leaps and bounds with property values in any case, but um, individuals need to pay that, whereas companies don't. I see. Okay. That's one thing. The other thing is mortgages work a little bit differently here. So you can't keep drawing on your equity. Your basically your loaning capacity, your loan capacity is based on your generated income per year. So whatever your income is, um, you've established income within say uh, one, two, or three years. Then whatever your average annual income is, and hopefully it doesn't fluctuate too much because they like to see it's kind of stable. You'll be your entire borrowing capacity as an individual is going to be about seven times your annual income. Okay. I see. We interrupt this broadcast. I always wanted to say this. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, or if you just need summer quiet to hide away from the world. So they offer a variety of options for families, for corporate relocations, or simply if you're transitioning between homes in Tokyo. Now, the properties are super comfortable, 
tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They've got fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in, a fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but long-term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, you definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profits or a holiday home that you want rented out when not in use via short-term stays, drop them a line today see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth your visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at emil.gorgies, G-O-R-G-E-E-S, at tokyorealty.jp. Okay, I see. And if and you've okay. borrowed, and if you've borrowed that much and you haven't paid it back yet, it doesn't matter how much equity you've gained in your properties. You're not going to be able to borrow more. There's no drawing on equity or putting up property as collateral that just doesn't exist here. Mm, I see. So you can't really refi or do any of that. Or no. no, I mean you can if you've paid say half the loan and you want to, you know, you want to renegotiate the terms of the loan, but you're not going to get more equity out of it. You might just get better terms. Okay, I see. Um, and th do they differentiate between like passive earned income, such as like through property real estate versus active? Um, no. Like, let's say there's a couple. Oh, they, they don't at all. Okay, no. okay. they just okay. look at your annual taxable income. Okay, I see. So I could potentially get a loan if I bought a few properties cash, and it was, uh, I guess, enough to continue um, building out a portfolio. Then, if they were, if they're generating enough, but here it's again that same kind of catch twenty two is you probably want to not declare any income for the first few years. So after you've established a baseline of three or four, one, two, three, four, preferably three years of stable taxable income, then you can start talking to them about loans. Okay, I see. So three years. Oh, that's quite a long time horizon in comparison, I guess. Well, it's three years for the banks, but then for, again, for your claiming and deduction cycle, if you're buying under a company, you can claim deductions for up to five years, carry your losses forward for five years. Um, so that would probably be when you're going to start, like after those five years is probably when you're going to start racking up that stable taxable income. So I would add one or two years on top of those five before, unless you, you just give up on the claiming uh, of deductions. Right? Oh, I see, yep. Okay, interesting. Is there anything, um, so in the US we have what's called a real estate professional tax designation. Um, and for people that are in the real estate industry, they can take um, unlimited passive losses against their active earned income. Um, is there any such thing for like tax, like for tax, oh, maybe this, maybe I, I would talk to a tax tax like accountant or something like that. that would be I haven't heard of anything yeah. like that, but I mean, 
people do, like, for example, if you set up a branch office of your US LLC or whatever it is you've got there, mm-hmm. and then you can offset losses and profits against each other and, and claim both in both countries kind of thing. But that, yeah, that's definitely the kind of creative uh, strategies that you need to speak to an accountant for. Oh, okay. Do you have some uh, referrals potentially for like accountants? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can send you, um, if you remind me via email when we're done, I'll send you an introduction to both an accountant and the immigration lawyer uh, who can just give you a bit more information about how the visa system works as well. Oh, okay. Will do. Yeah, much appreciated. Okay. What Um, else can I answer for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, So uh, I guess it kind of feels like, I, I guess with the past two years, a lot of things have been changing. Um, you know, I guess all around the world. So, um, and, uh, you know, in the US, of course, there's uh, some macro economic trends that a lot of people are anticipating. Is there, um, what kind of things are people anticipating uh, for Japan, like in terms of like macroeconomic trends uh, that like that would affect real estate, I guess? Um, well, I mean, there's probably two forces at work here. The first is the, um, the population trend, I mean, the workforce is shrinking fast mm-hmm. um, and smaller towns are conglomerating into bigger metropolitan centers. So that always pushes against the uh, whatever GDP we manage to, uh, whatever GDP growth we manage to have here. Um, so prospects were not stellar, but having said that, Tokyo and Osaka are now at their pre-1990s bubble peaks, at least for new condo units. Oh, wow. Uh, even though salaries and cost of living are still about half what they were uh, mm-hmm. when that bubble burst. So how much further that can go up, I'm not sure, but it's, it's, a lot of it is obviously speculative. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the country is still very cheap. Um, having said all of that, we are experiencing some GDP growth, which is kind of a miracle. I mean, to have even 1% growth when the country is shrinking at 1% a year, I mean, when the workforce is is a kind of a miracle. So based on that, we've actually seen a very slight but still interest rate rises for the first time in a long time. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, but look, I really hate to speculate because it, it depends on so many regional and, and global things as well. It's not just what Japan does. Right. We're very close and very much influenced by, ev- by everything that happens between the uh, China, Taiwan, India, Korea, and all of our neighbors. So mm-hmm. I would hate to guess uh, what the future holds. I, we, oh. we focus and we advise our customers to focus on, on cash flow yield and not, not expect any capital growth or you know, potential financing or anything that might be a bit more speculative. It, I mean, if, if you do give, get access to anything like that, it's, it's a bonus, it's icing on the cake, but focus on nice and stable cash flow yield and Japan's pretty good for that. Mm, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, very interesting. Um, let me see. I guess you, um, you, you help onboard uh, tons of different foreigners, um, you know, looking to invest in real estate. Um, but, you know, what, what do you like for, from all of the people that you've seen, what do you think uh, sets apart investors or business owners that come, that come to Japan um, and that they find a success uh, in comparison to those that kind of fail or give up? Um, well, obviously you need to like Japan or be at least slightly familiar with it. We do have a lot of investors, um, especially when we started, not so many these days, but um, 
when we started was just post the global financial crisis. So we ended up getting a lot of deal and bargain hunters um, who just went for the, you know, the highest potential uh, cash flow yields on paper, even if it was, you know, less attractive locations, less attractive properties, less attractive tenant profile. They just wanted to maximize yields as much as they could. And then what happens with these older you know, not so well located, not so good tenant kind of properties is that the income maybe starts very high, but it very quickly drops because the building gets older, the, there's a race to the bottom with the rents. If you're if you're basically catering to very, very low income earners, um, you're not going to be raising the, the rent because Japan being the, the kind of deflationary environment that it was at least until 2012, you can't really raise the rents here. We haven't seen much of that in the last 10, 11 years. So, oh, wow. If you're focused only on, on the highest possible yield on paper, you're probably going to be a, a bit disappointed four or five years down the track. And we have, we have had these people kind of exit, um, not with a big smile on their face kind of thing. Um, but the advantage is you can, you can, I mean, it's a very fluid and a very active market. It's, you know, the second largest in the world. I think the U.S. is number one, Japan's number two. So it's always easy to offload properties and just get your capital back or maybe even slightly more depending on where you bought. So, I mean, none of them were disappointed in the sense that they lost too much. They just were disappointed in the sense that the yield were not as high as they thought they would be forever. Um, I think if you enter, if you enter here with a, um, with a broader understanding of how Japan works and how things are different here to other countries, what that means from your purchase criteria and all the way down to property management, because things just are done differently here. I mean, it's, it's a very long, it's a very long education process that we go through with each and every new client, unless they're already very familiar with Japan. Uh -huh. um, but just, just trying to accept the recommendations on how to approach any kind of issue related to purchase or management or tenancies uh, or whatnot usually helps when somebody comes in with very preset ideas of um, this is how you get the best deal and this is how you get the best tenant and this is what you do when you've got a vacancy and they've, you know, we, we do what the customer tells us to do. So if they twist our arm and force us to do things their way, we'll do it, but it doesn't yield the best results. So the people sure. who are a bit more open-minded to how things work here and, and listen to our recommendations probably do a lot better. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm in property management and uh, I have real estate sales myself, so I understand that completely for sure. So, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, that definitely helps a lot. So um, I guess since I've never been to – I've been in Japan and I've lived there um, and I've visited many times – but I have actually never gone to Fukuoka. So I guess if what you're kind of saying is, you know, being open and kind of getting to know the, the market better, potentially I should uh, try to go visit first um, and kind of get a lay of the land or at least do as much research as possible then um, to get familiar with different things. So, um, Oh, it's totally up to you. I mean, the vast majority of our customers, I mean, yes, some of them come here to meet us before the purchase, but a lot of them just purchase remotely based on recommendations and research, and then they come and visit after they purchase. So 80% 80, 80 of our customers have purchased remotely, and most of them haven't seen our face uh, until they've actually purchased and come here to have a look. So it's, it's entirely oh, wow, up awesome. to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very brave. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> totally up to you. Okay, wonderful. Um, oh, uh, I guess, are there anything such as like rent to own or like, a, I don't know if contract for deed means anything um, to you, but not, like kind of like a rent to own? 
Very rare here unless you know the seller personally. Okay, I see. I see. It happens within families sometimes, but not on a, on a commercial scale now. Right. Okay. I see. Well, uh, I think that's really all I had. Oh, no, actually, um, you did say, um, you know, kind of listening to us during uh, or listening to you guys during like turnovers. Are, how often are, do turnovers happen, would you say? Like for like a uh, single tenant, tenant turnovers? Yep. Um, for the singles, uh, I'd say four and a half years on average. Um, for families, a lot longer. So it can be 10, 15 years. And uh, for couples, maybe somewhere between that six to seven years. So if they're already married and have a child or are just having their first child, they usually stay in place until the family grows enough, if it grows enough, or until their salary grows enough. As they uh, usually the husband uh, moves up through the company ranks and gets a higher salary. So at that point, they might relocate. So for a couple, I'd say maybe six to eight years. Um, but that's all statistics. So depending on how many properties you own and how long you've held them, if you own a single or two units, um, you could have a tenant move out on you a couple of months after purchase, or you could have them staying in place for 20 years. So the, the, the numbers get very skewed when it's a small sample size. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Is there a certain type of seasonality then? I guess um, since we've been talking about Fukuoka specifically, yeah. is there a yeah. certain type of like on like high demand season versus really low demand season? Yeah. So nationwide, the highest moving season is um, between February to the end, the beginning of February to the end of March, which is everyone preparing for. Um, the academic year starts here in April, which means that um, people finish their studies around February, March, and that's when companies also um, recruit from the university graduates. And that's also when um, companies reshuffle their staffers and move them to different locations around the country. So they go do a stint at the Osaka office or they move to a branch office in the sticks. So between, actually, I'd probably say even more like mid-January to end of March is the highest season for, for tenant turnover. Oh, wow. Um, and then the second one is probably just after Obon. So we've got this long um, holiday here that's going to be around usually beginning to middle of August. And then people go out to visit the relatives. And when they come back, uh, they tend to um, kind of make life changing decisions a lot more. It's kind of a reflective holiday. So that happens here. Um, otherwise, the rest of the year is pretty average. The caveat to that is um, snow country. So in Sapporo, for example, which is also an attractive city to invest in, um, if you happen to get a tenancy in the winter months, that's gonna be a pretty long tenancy because people don't move around as much during the winter. Right. Yeah, um, so there, um, I'd say the dead, the dead part of the year is probably all the way from October to March or April. So about half oh, okay. the year. Okay. That, that's very similar to, um, how things are in Minnesota and the U S okay. everyone, everyone hates the cold, you know, they, everything, uh, comes online during the yeah. spring and Stay summer, put, so. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause yeah. all the snow and the cold. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't expect, uh, I guess Fukuoka probably doesn't get really any snow or, or, uh, 
or like uh, we get about a, yeah a centimeter a year and then everybody freaks <laughs> okay. out and goes out yeah. to train. yeah not not really now <laughs> <laughs> okay i see oh yeah I'd, i'd be surprised if people were wanting to move you know a lot in the cold but uh that's awesome yeah um Yeah. So I guess um, next steps would probably, I, I guess I'd want to. Um, oh, sorry. I, I forgot to mention, sorry. I forgot to mention for, if you're dealing with short-term stay, it's very seasonal, of course. Right. So. All oh, right. Yep. If you're near the beach, then spring and summer, if you're in uh, near the ski resorts or the onsens, then autumn and winter, in that case, it can be much more seasonal. I see. Are there, are there um, areas that um, your like clients of yours have uh, invested more for like short-term rentals? Would you say? Well, management is challenging if you're not um, in or close to a big city because there are not that many management companies out in the sticks here. Mm-hmm. Um, the exceptions would be super popular international hotspots like Niseko Village up in Hokkaido, but then you're talking about properties that are running the millions of dollars usually, which is not what our customers normally look for because they're mostly cash buyers. So... If you stick to the cities, say central Tokyo or all the way down to Yokohama, Chiba, uh, Saitama, or Osaka, or Fukuoka, all the way up to Itoshima, which is like our beach community um, in the West, mm-hmm. then it's relatively easy to get short-term management companies. Anywhere beyond that would be a bit more challenging. So our, our customers are usually more buy and hold kind of stable income types, but we do have a few that do uh, short-term rentals. They usually prefer to do monthly rentals uh, which is a way to sidestep the uh, short-term stay regulations so if you're renting out your property for a period of a minimum one month and with an actual tenancy lease in place you can get a much higher rental income but still not qualify as a short-term stay operator which means that uh, just, okay. you just rent it out normally basically for sure yep yeah just shorter time frames and whatnot okay yeah that's definitely good insight there um Do you have any resources that you can, uh, I guess, send my way for like, uh, like proper different property management? Well, you guys do property management, right? In certain areas. We manage the property managers, same as we work with the real estate agents. So we're always an added ah, layer kind of single point of contact for you. And then we employ the third parties that will do the actual work. Yeah. So we're ambivalent to where in the country you're investing. We work with companies in each location. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, what's the um i think i may have missed the management fees like what kind of management fees there are um is it just kind of like a, a straight uh, percentage or are there like flat fees or like fees for turnovers straight, and tenant placement it's a straight percentage plus uh, advertising and placement fee when they place a new tenant after a oh, vacancy okay. um and our fees are similar to that i'll send you if i haven't sent you yet i'll send you the explanation of services document that i uh, lists all of that down oh okay perfect Wonderful. And if you're, I'm not sure if you're more of a reader or more of a listener, but we've got um, heaps of contents on every, every one of the topics we've discussed so far. So if you let me know what, what's your favorite consumption model, I'll send you some stuff to read or listen to. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think you'd, you'd mentioned this was being recorded for potential content, I guess, for our podcast. So we've got, I'm yeah, we're, take, we're, take we're the only that. Japan real estate podcast. So if you just Google that, you'll find us whichever platform you're using. Oh, definitely. I, I will do that for sure. Um, but yeah, I definitely read things too. So any articles uh, or I guess blogs or whatever um, you guys send my way, I'll, I'll definitely take a look at. I'll send you a couple of um, ebooks that are investment uh, specific oriented that we've uh, just a collation of articles that we've written over the years. So maybe take the numbers with a grain of salt, but the, the 
procedures that we outlined there are all still the same. Okay, wonderful. Very good. All right. I Alrighty. think um, my free Zoom is giving us just less than a minute too. So we can, we can log back in if you've got any more questions. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess the only last question I would have is, um, I guess, uh, just getting connected um, with uh, some of the recommendations you had in terms of, um, you know, like uh, the, the visa. Yeah, um, accountant and, and the immigration and lawyer. I got that down. Yeah. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, I guess then I, I guess I'd probably re-engage you guys um, once I have a little bit fuller understanding and then uh, maybe try to look at some property and, and all that kind of stuff. So sounds like a plan. So there you have it, a great little deep dive into all things residential property investment related. And this is also the time for me to apologize in advance for being uh, for a bit of upcoming radio silence. My son and I are off to my brother's, uh, his uncle wedding in Cyprus tonight. I'm going to be away for about a week with a good 24 hours of airports and flights uh, at both ends of that period. So I don't expect to be uploading new episodes for a week or two, but we'll be right back with you towards the end of the month hopefully with an announcement of our upcoming in-person, face-to-face, hands-on JREP seminar in Tokyo. Stay tuned, more details coming your way real soon. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com. And he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku!